The following presentation of the Jaguars Podcast Network is presented by ViStar Credit Union. Tony Baselli is more than just the first draft choice in franchise history. He's more than just its best player. The massive six foot seven inch offensive tackle owned a blend of size, length, agility, and intellect that revolutionized the way offensive linemen played the game. Baselli represented everything Tom Coughlin wanted in a football player, in his football team. He played the game as if he were made for it. This is Perspectives, a look back at the first 25 years of the Jacksonville Jaguars through the eyes of the people who built the NFL's 30th franchise from the ground up. This is Tony Baselli. It's no exaggeration to say that Baselli was the personification of the Jaguars. He wouldn't back down on the field or in the locker room. He knew he was more than just an offensive tackle. He was the heartbeat of the Jaguars, a rarity for an offensive lineman. A few years after his career was over, as he wandered through the beginnings of a post-football career, he and wife Angie made a life-changing decision that actually took them back to where the journey began. It was interesting, in 95 when we came here, you know, we made the decision as a young married couple, Angie and I, that we were going to make Jacks for our home year-round. We weren't going to do something where... We, you know, stayed in the season, and then as soon as the season went was over, go back to California where she was from or Colorado where I was from. We kind of made, for whatever reason, I can't even remember why. Um, maybe it's because Tom said you couldn't leave in those days. But we, even before I knew that offseason was important, we had made that decision. It had something to do with my wife being from the beach. We lived at the beach, so she was happy. And, you know, we had the seven years here. And then when they put me on the expansion draft and I left, I said I was never coming back. Because I was upset and mad and angry and all the different emotions that go into it. And the whole thing with Houston went how it did and shoulder never got better. And, and so I retired and I was sitting there, you know, 31 years old or whatever I was and had no idea what I was going to do. And, you know, normal uh, emotions that you go through as a player, I think, especially if you get hurt and it, it ends sooner, you're depressed, you're confused and everything else. So I did a bunch of different things. We lived in Houston for a while. Went to Austin, was wor- working for a sports ministry, ended up in Nashville. And through those all the different stops, we would visit Jacksonville and come see friends, the Brunells and everybody else. And we had our church here that we had kind of been apart from the beginning. And I remember we came back one time after being gone like two and a half years or so, maybe three. And I was like, we were renting a house at Jack's Beach. <laughs> I'm thinking, what are we doing? And I remember I went back to Nashville and Angie didn't love Nashville, and we had four kids at the time. And one day I walked into the kitchen and I said, hey, uh, we're moving back to Jacksonville. What do you think? And she literally had the house packed up for sale sign in one week. We sold the house two days later. It was right before the housing you know, crashed, like 05. And we packed up a U-Haul and moved back here. And I think what it was is what I realized and what Angie realized is when we came back and visited – and saw people, and it was even just for a weekend or a week at a time, that this was home. It actually became more home to us, especially for me, than it was when I went back to Colorado to see my family or went to California and saw her family or friends and back to SC. For whatever reason, um, we would come back to Jacksonville the few times we did when we were gone, and this just felt like home. And I said, what are we doing? You know, by that time, the emotions and you kind of realize as you know, gosh, I feel old now. I'm 47. Uh, 
you know, at 31, early 30s, 33, whatever, that the business part of football stinks. And what happened wasn't great, but it was business, you know, and you get over it. And Wayne had reached out and, and, you know, and you kind of rebuild those relationships and everything else. And so that I had kind of healed itself as far as for me. And I love Jacksonville. We loved the area. It was where our friends were. It was where the church we were a part of. It was just the people of Jacksonville. And there was such a history of being a part of that first team that kind of stuck deep, at least in me, and there's roots, that it connected us here. And we moved back, and it was the greatest thing ever. And I look back now, I've lived here in Jacksonville, the greater Jacksonville area, Ponte Vedra, longer than I've lived where I grew up in Boulder, Colorado. And so people say all the time where you're from. We were just, I was just on a trip with my dad and we were uh, in my family and everyone's, they ask, where are you guys from? And they would literally say, we're all from Colorado. He's from Florida. <laughs> and like he lives in Florida. And so this is my hometown. This is, I mean, I grew up in Colorado, went to school in, uh, in California. But if you ask, ask me where my hometown is, it's Jacksonville. I mean, we're Jacksonville people. Um, I hope never to leave. You never know what life brings. Um, but this is a, it was a special place and it, it was confirmed after we left. You don't realize it sometimes when you're first year after we left and then would visit. So this is where we want to come back to. The choice to leave Jacksonville wasn't Tony's and he wasn't happy about it. He left hurt and in disbelief that everything he worked for and everything he was planning on had suddenly been taken away. When he left, neither he nor Angie nor Tom Coughlin or Jaguars owner Wayne Weaver could have foreseen his return. So the emotions of leaving here were really tough for me. Um, I remember, you know, I'd been the first pick and everything had gone well and then I got hurt. And so I was going through that 2001 season, started the season and the shoulder just didn't work, had the surgery and was rehabbing it and trying to get back. And it was a tough rehab. And I remember uh, the season had just ended. It was probably January or so, mid-January. Uh, mid and I remember it's a Saturday morning. And at the time, uh, we had three kids, and they're all little. And we're sitting there, and Angie was actually making breakfast. I remember she was making pancakes. I mean, I can literally remember it that clearly. And we get a knock on the door, and so I go answer the door, and it's uh, it's Coach Coughlin, and he had lived across the street, um, kind of catacorn from us there in Marsh Landing, at the time. And he says, "Hey, can we talk?" And I'm like, "Okay, something's not right here." And we sat on my porch on the stairs of my porch outside the door. And he sat there and he said, hey, listen, um, this is the hardest thing, really hard for me, but we're going to put you on the expansion uh, list. And I said, what? And he went through the whole cap and all the different things. And, you know, who knows? Maybe it was because I was hurt. I mean, maybe they knew. The, I don't know why, but the, the reason it was explained was cap. And so immediately I remember walking in to see my wife and I said, you won't believe this. She was what? I said, we're leaving Jacksonville. She was, what do you mean? I said, I'm on the expansion list. And she goes, okay. And that started a domino of uh, events that next thing I know, I'm traveling to Houston back and forth because I get picked. And uh, The whole long story that didn't work. I mean, we tried, the shoulder was gone. And that was leading to that emotion kind of exponentially made it worse because now I felt like the place I loved let me go and or let me be picked by the Texans. Texans were great to me, but now my shoulder doesn't work. And there's all these emotions. It's like, 
did they know something? What happened? Was it a bad surgery? You know, or was it just one of those things? And I remember going through all those emotions and looked at every option I had. What do I do? And and we went through the series of events bouncing around. And and when we were coming back, I got a phone call one day. And uh, I, I almost want to say it was Dan Edwards who called me and said, hey, Wayne wants to talk to you. And so I talked to Wayne. And he says, hey, we'd like to for you to come back. And we'd like you to retire as a Jaguar. And we'd like to put you on the uh, in the stadium as the first member of the Pride of the Jaguars. And I was like, wow. And it was during that time, the kind of the process of me reconciling what happened. And Angie and I had talked, and I, I remember thinking, I said, at some point, I got to get over this. And this was even before the whole Pride of the Jaguars. I said, I can either be mad forever and look down at the franchise and blame them or get mad at uh, Tom or Wayne or all, whoever. Or I can say that's kind of how it goes and be a part of the franchise that I was the first pick of. And I've said, you know what? Whatever happened, happened. I want to I want to have some connection. And along those lines is when Wayne called. Uh, or, and it wasn't exact timing, but kind of all this was happening at the same time. And when that happened, I remember coming back, retired as a Jaguar that day, and they announced I'm going to be put into the pride of the Jaguars. And in that time, we had started moving back, too. And I remember the day when I went in, and we played the New York Jets, and had the whole family there, and you come down, and – to see them pull the tarp down and my name was up there was a little bit surreal for me. Cause growing up as a Bronco fan, I remember going to old mile high and seeing like the great Broncos that you would, whether before I was born that I'd heard about or when I was little watched. And then I saw my name up there and I was like, man, this is amazing. And boy, I'm glad I didn't hold the grudge and burn a bridge against the franchise that I love and was a part of from the beginning because of of slights or emotional reasons or whatever happened. It happened. It was a business decision. It, it happened. And I'm glad I didn't let that affect my long-term relationship with this franchise because now I sit here today, you know, all these years later, and now living here and a part of it and, and have been a part of the Team Teal at the end of when the Weavers owned it to – now with uh, Shad and his family owning at the cons, being a part of the franchise, calling games, and being just a part of the entire fabric, not just of Jacksonville, but the Jaguar community. It's a family more to me. It means so much to me. I mean, it's a big part of my identity that I love. I love being a part of the Jaguars. I love when I call national games going on the road and people look down defending the Jaguars. I mean, this is part of it, and I think back to the decision by Angie and I made says we want to be a part of this. And then Wayne allowing me to be the first person uh, in the pride of Jaguars is a huge honor for me. And, you know, as long as the stadium's up here and my name's up here, I guess they can't take that away from me. And that's a, it's a huge honor and uh, it's fun for me. It's fun for my kids. They come to the game and their friends and everything. And uh, so it's pretty special. And, And for me being the first pick is I've always taken a lot of pride in that. And I felt the pressure when I was picked. Like, I want to live up to being that first pick. And I remember when Tom said, you know, we're picking me to be the cornerstone and all that stuff. And and everyone joked about that as you're, you know, as you're a rookie making fun of you and everything. But that meant something to me. And now to continue to have that legacy with, you know, the having the name up there but still being a part of it now that uh, where we are as a franchise with the cons owning it and still being a part of it means a lot to me. More perspectives following this from Vistar Credit Union. 
At ViStar, we believe in better. And that means treating people better with friendly, personal service that's kept our members happy since 1952. A smile and personal greeting when you enter the branch. An online or phone chat for those quick questions. And a call center that's open every day. If you believe that great service is better, join ViStar. We never forget that it's your money. All loans subject to approval, insured by NCUA. Coming home meant a return to the place where some of his best football memories were made. More important for Baselli, coming back to Jacksonville, rejoined him with many of the most important people in his life. I think as, as you look back on, well, at least as I look back on my career, obviously the the games and the big moments and competing and walking on the field, you know, are highlights. You know, I always joke, people say, what do you miss about football? I say, I miss, about, I miss game day and payday. Those were really both two good days if you were here in the NFL. But the thing I – and then I, after joking, I said, you know what else I miss is the locker room and the relationships that I had in that locker room. And and I, as I look, you know, at the friendships I have now and that of guys I played with and guys around the league, I mean, it's – you're in a fraternity that – because you played the game of football, that you have something in common with them. And then there's another level. And then you have, like, your close relationships. And I look at the – you know, you know – I think it's pretty much no secret in this community now that, you know, Mark and I are very close and we're best friends. And I look back that the first year, I don't think we probably said two words to each other. You know, he was fighting for a job and I was trying to figure out how to play left tackle in the NFL. And we didn't have a lot of things in common. He had a much deeper faith at that time than I did at that stage of my life. And while we were friendly, we were not friends. And the interesting thing was it wasn't, football per se the locker room where we became friends it was our wives so angie and stacy became friends angie told me we were going on a vacation with the brunells and i looked and i said why are we going with them (laughs) you know mark and i don't really hang out that much and and she says we're going it's great stacy's great i want to go and if you've been married long enough you understand happy wife happy life and if she says you're going you're going and so i said okay and we went to an island down in the Caribbean, and we had a great time. And we really became friends. And through a series of events, you know, I talked about the church earlier, um, what's kind of birthed out of a Bible study we were a part of that he invited me to, him, and my wife and I, Angie and I went, and deep in my faith and really became a, uh, became a Christian. And at that point, the bond even got closer, and then it just grew. We ended up driving to work every day because we lived in the same neighborhood. We ended up going on vacations. Our kids were the same age. We kind of just did life together as football players, and that never stopped. And so that relationship has grown where we continue to be really good friends, talk all the time, do, do life together. You know, he was the head coach at Episcopal. I was the offensive line coach. Um we'd yell at each other, we'd make fun of each other. And so it's a special relationship. And then you look at the organization the greater. I mean, I've mentioned, you know, you talk, you can't talk about the Jaguars without talking about Tom Coughlin. I mean, I can remember the first time he came out to USC to work me out. And him and Mike Major came and worked me out. And afterwards they said, we want to go to dinner with you. We want to take you to dinner. And they said, bring your girlfriend too. So they must have done the research knowing that she was going to be my wife. And it was non-negotiable. It's like, you know, you bring her with you. And it was me, him, it was Tom, Mike, and uh, Rick Reapers. 
and went out to dinner. And I remember sitting there at dinner with Tom and, and going through the you know the whole interview process and and then playing for him all those years. It wasn't easy. It wasn't always fun playing for him. He was very difficult to play for, um, especially in those early years. And he you know he was trying to make a point, and boy did he make it. But you know, I look back at the success we had, and a lot of that was yes because of the players that he brought in. We were good, but because the, co- the job he did as a coach, as a head coach, and the, his coaching staff, and in that relationship, has continued. I mean, they were neighbors. I remember all the time I'd come home, just so mad, and talk bad about Tom. And Angie would stop me and say, "How dare you talk about him that way? He's such a nice man." Because I'm like, wait a second. You think he's nice because you see him on the weekends in the offseason. He smiles and asks how you're doing. And because his wife, Judy, is a saint, one of the nicest people in the entire world, that doesn't mean he is nice to me. And she would defend him. So I'm fighting here with my wife because of the the views we have on the head coach. Um, But that's a special relationship. That's a relationship that will mean a lot to me um, because of the position and the place he had in my life as a young football player and as my head coach and, the, and that we continue to have. I mean, him being back in Jacksonville and a part of the organization I think is great. Um, it shows the power of what happened here early and for him to come back and have a home here, he always did, and now to be a part of it again I think is really special. And so relationships are critical to me. I mean, it's at the end of it, we're all going to get old. We're all going to not be able to play football and – not be athletic, and all we do have is our relationships. And the memories come from the relationships, in my opinion. Because what if you're by yourself, the memories are useless. But when you have relationships that you can look back and laugh. I mean, we will still get together and laugh and tell stories about the old days. I mean, I look at the job I have now here on the radio. I mean, Jeff and I were teammates. And... Uh, you know, and Logs and was the older guy, and he was the leader of the team. I was a new guy coming in, and I kind of grew and took that position when he left as one of the main leaders on the team. And and now to work with him together, I mean, him and I all the time and laugh and tell stories. And there's a there's a, a connection because of what we did back when we played here, and now we work together. And that's a that's a, a special relationship, and that's fun. And the and my hope is, you know, I hope. Shad and Mark Lamping view it the same way is that we do this forever and we're 70 year old guys covering this team, hopefully with a couple of Super Bowls by then, telling stories. And we'll, everyone listening will be like, oh gosh, here go Jeff and Tony again, and the, the old guys telling stories about the ancient days of 95 and in those times. So the relationships are great, they're very important to me. The memories I have here um, are built around those relationships. And, uh, you know, my. Best friend, you know, outside my wife, my best friend is Mark Brunell, and that's because I played football here with the Jaguars. Tony instantly bonded with a slightly disconnected fan base, turned off by seasons of losing. He reminded Jaguars fans of the early years, now nearly a decade in the rearview mirror. So, you know, I look back in that first year, and we were started in Stevens Point, and, which was just a brutal camp, and I end up on a rainy day, my you know, Jeff Log, my radio partner, decides that he's going to be a, an idiot and bull rush on a rainy day, and my leg slips, and my knee gets put in an awkward position. I dislocate my kneecap, knock some cartilage off, and I have to have surgery. And that was tough because the very thing I wanted to do is to prove that they made the right pick, and now in my mind, I felt like, my gosh, I let everyone down. 
And having to miss the preseason uh, was tough. But then when I remember walking on the field for the Houston game and walking out in civilian in just street clothes because I couldn't play. My knee was still not 100%. And, and it was as exhilarating as it was to see the crowd. I was, it was one of the more disappointing times as well. And it was tough because you want to be excited for everyone else, and you you don't want the team to win, obviously. But individually, I was like, man, I'm, this is not what I was brought here to do. I wasn't brought here as a second pick to sit on the sideline and watch. And so the first couple of weeks were tough, and uh, there was three games. You know, you had the Houston, and then we had went to the Jets, and then we played uh, Cincinnati, I think, or vice versa, whatever the role was. Those three games, and. And then we had a Sunday night game against Green Bay. And my knee was not 100%. But I was like, I'm playing. And it was good enough. I got cleared. I passed the strength test. And, but it was still swelling up a little bit and it wasn't great. And I remember, so I practiced that week. And I remember Tom coming to me and he says, you're not going to start. And I'm like, what do you mean I'm not going to start? He says, we're not going to start. Jeff Novak's going to start. Because Jeff had played left tackle. And you talk about relationships earlier. I mean, Jeff Novak, to this day, is one of my best friends. I mean, he lives in Texas, and we talk about relationships. I mean, Jeff Novak is as close as I am to anybody, and he's the guy I backed up <laughs> that first start. And we used to joke all the time. And, he, you know, and we still to this day of him being the starting left tackle for the franchise <laughs> after they picked me those first few games. And and those are the, we talk about memories and relationships. I mean, I can't believe, I, you know, Jeff is a guy that I think back to that first night. I remember I'm sitting on the sidelines, and he is out there. And I'm in the, I'm all dressed up and ready to go. And Tom says, you're going to wait two series. I don't know why two, but he decided that. And, and the whole week leading up to that, I had watched the tape and everything else. And you got Reggie White on one side. I'm like, oh, my gosh, this guy's like the greatest ever. And then, you know, Sean Jones on the other side, at the time he had 106 sacks. He was a 100-sack guy. And I'm thinking, my goodness. I mean, Sunday night football, 100-sack guy. You know, thankfully Reggie White's going to stay on the other side. I don't have to worry about him. And this is where I have no preseason, nothing. Let's find out if you can play or not, kid. And so I'm sitting on the sideline. I'm nervous, and I'm watching Jeff. He's out there, and he's doing fine and whatever. And and I remember three and out, three and out. And so before I know it, they're saying, you're going in. And we get the ball. I jog on the field. And the whole crowd – like cheers, and because they and the, the this has probably never happened in the history of the NFL. The PA guy goes now entering the game at left tackle Tony. <laughs> I'm like, are you kidding me? I play left tackle, and the whole crowd cheers, and I'm thinking, don't screw this up. And I remember the first play, go out there, and I'm like, okay, I blocked him, and I blocked him the whole night, and I'm like, at that point. It's funny. I'm like, I can play this game. And I'll be, you know, I just knew. And early in the game I knew I could block him. And I remember the, the funny story about that game. You know, we, were, we, went, we didn't get a first down in the first half. People, I mean, it was the most crazy. Not one. We were three and out, three and out forever. We started getting going a little bit in the second half and made it a, a respectable game. And I was so excited we lost. I'll be honest with you. I didn't care. I was like, I played. I did halfway decent. I didn't embarrass myself, and I'm now doing what I was brought here to do. Um, and so the next day I show up to the facility, and we lost, so everyone's down. But I'm feeling okay. 
we go, we're sitting outside and waiting to go to the team meeting room. And you better be there early because everything's going to start early. And so I'm there early sitting there. And um, Tom walks up. And he grabs me, he looks at me, he says, how did you think you did last night? And I was smart enough at this point, and I knew him enough not to say, oh, I think I did pretty good. And I just said, oh, I think it was okay. And he looked at me and he says, that didn't mean anything. That guy doesn't play every snap and walked off. I'm like thinking, can I get a little bit of love, Tom? Just a little bit. And there was no love coming from Tom. He walked off into the meeting. I sat there and said, okay. And that was kind of the start of that season. And I think it was the next week we went to Houston. And we got our first win. And that was awesome. I mean, that was amazing because – you know, we it was funny because we had played pretty good. You know, I don't think we really got blown out. The Jets game got a little bit away from us at the end of the game. But it wasn't, like, just embarrassing. And But the Carolina Panthers were doing, you know, better. And, you know, we were kind of fighting and trying to figure it out. And we got that first win. And that was awesome. And then the next week we go, come home and the Steelers are coming to town. And I'm thinking, oh, it's the Pittsburgh Steelers. And they're one of the best teams. And we beat them. Now all of a sudden you're kind of thinking, like, we're pretty good. Maybe this isn't that hard to do. Well, everyone knows we won one more and then went on a seven-game losing streak. So, But that was a, it was a long first year, and it was a hard first year for me because of the knee and everything else. And it was probably the most tired I've ever been after a football season. Just from the draft and all the expectations and the injury and going through all the stuff, that was a tough year. 1996 didn't seem much different at first. But by mid-November, a different wind began to blow, and it caught the Jaguar sails and pushed them places no one dared to dream of when the season began. We just started winning close games. And winning one close game, another close game. And, and I, I never really thought about the playoffs because we were 4-7. and seven. Then we were 5-7, and 6-7. and seven. You get to 7-7, seven and seven, you're like, oh, okay, we're doing better. And, and then I remember all of a sudden one day like, they were, like we were in the hunt. And I'm like, ooh, wow, we've got a chance. And we got all the way. One of the most memorable games for me was we're playing the Atlanta Falcons. We're terrible. We're like, we're going to go to the playoffs. All we have to do is beat the Falcons, who stink. We're going to the playoffs. And we played bad. And it was they were driving down, and it was the worst feeling, sitting on the sidelines helpless, watching our defense not be able to slow down the Falcons. And now we'd done nothing offensively. The whole day. They played pretty good. And then all of a sudden, now they can't. And I'm thinking, we're going to screw this thing up. We're going to lose to the Falcons and not go to the playoffs. And when Morton Anderson lined up for that kick, I'm like, he's the I mean, greatest kickers ever. He's not missing. It's like 30-some-odd yards. And when he shanked it, I mean, that place erupted. And that, if you think about it for this franchise and for a lot of us individually, me included, that shanked kick changed everything. Because we don't have the run in 96, which I think really built our confidence for the years to come if he doesn't shank it. I don't get to go play against the defensive player of the year in Bruce Smith and have the game I did if he doesn't shank it, which put my career – I mean, I already you know, was in the Pro Bowl already as an alternate uh, that year. But that took me to another stratosphere as far as nationally. People are like, well, wait a second, this guy can play. Um. You know, Mark Brunell 
like went crazy in the playoffs. I mean, that kind of launched him to another 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 uh, stratosphere, and that it just kind of kicked everything off. And that game and the Denver game are two games that I'll never forget. Buffalo because of who I was playing and the pressure I felt going in, the anxiety of thinking I got to block this guy. And looking back now is a huge compliment, but it wasn't like Gilbride and Mazur had this great game plan. Like, hey, we're going to – let's game plan Bruce Smith. It was like the game plan is like, Tony, you block him. And maybe we'll look over there every once in a while. We had no slide protections. We had none of that. The night before the game, Kevin Gilbride, I'll never forget it. We're talking about it, and he goes, at the end of the meeting, I'm like waiting for someone to say, like, acknowledge, like, this is not easy. And at the end of the meeting, he says, hey, everyone knows Tony has a tough matchup tomorrow. I'm like, okay, good. Thank you. <laughs> I'm glad we got that out, of the, <laughs> out in the open. And he said, hey, Nate and James, if you get a chance when you're going out for your routes, take a look. That was our game plan. And so I always laugh now when Bruce says, oh, they had a game plan. They slid. They did all the stuff. I'm like, you should know. Trust me, they didn't. And, um, but that game meant so much to me. And, uh, you know, it's a longer story of all the emotions and everything that went into it and, and, and what you, you, the feeling walking on that field knowing what, you, you know, i got to face him. But the next week was maybe even bigger for me individually because that was my hometown. I grew up a Bronco fan. I grew up a Elway fan. I grew up going to those games and rooting for them. My entire family still to this day lives in Boulder, Colorado, in the, that region. I think I had 80 people go to the game. All of them secretly were rooting for the Broncos to win. And when we won that game and I walked off the field and looked up to that corner of just the Jaguar fans and the Bronco fans, heads down, hung, walking out, it was one of the greatest feelings in sports I've ever had. And it's just too bad we couldn't finish it off the next week. We should have, you know, a team that we very should we should have beat. We probably had no business beating the Broncos as good as they were but we did. Um, we couldn't finish it off. But that was those games back then were were amazing, and it was amazing. It was amazing run. And I look at there were so many other big games. The fourteen two season was bittersweet for me because I thought we were a team who go to the Super Bowl. We were one of the best teams in the NFL. I blow my knee out in the, the game that we had. It was over before we we're going to the playoffs. So I get I missed that playoff run. So those are bittersweet moments, but, man, the memories of those games and the, the, the emotions that go into them and the ups and downs, and, um, it, the, those will sit with you forever. More perspectives following this from ViStar Credit Union. At ViStar, we believe in better, better convenience, so members can bank any way they want, whether it's at a branch, on a mobile device, or at one of more than 20,000 fee-free ATMs across North America. We believe that people have better things to do with their time. If you believe that convenience is better, join ViStar. We never forget that it's your money. All loans subject to approval, insured by NCUA. These days, the man once touted as a future Hall of Famer is still on the outside looking in, something that frustrates the Jaguars and their fans. But not Baselli. He's grateful that all of us care about who he was as a player and who he has become as a favorite son of the First Coast. It's humbling. And the Hall of Fame would truly be the, the highest individual honor I can have. 
as a, as a football player, not as a person. I mean, my faith and my family, I mean, those greatly outweigh the Hall of Fame. But as a professional, there's nothing higher. And it's an elite of the elites of the elites of football players. And so for me individually, it would mean the world. I can't even describe what it would mean. But I'll tell you what makes it even more special for me and why there's – it's not desperation, but a desire, like a desire more than I ever would have thought. Like there was – I always – I mean, obviously, I always knew it would be a big honor, but being a finalist the last three years, what it's revealed to me, one of the desires for me is, is I want to represent this organization and this fan base because I know it's important to them as well. And for them to care that much means a ton to me. And to hear fans, I mean, just just the other day, literally, like two days ago, I was walking to the airport, and they said, some guy, it happens all the time. A fan walks up to me and says, you are getting in, and you deserve to be in. And I'm like, I appreciate it. It's, it I mean, you don't even know what to say. The support from the organization, everyone from Shad Khan to Mark Lamping, all the way down, Tom Coughlin, I mean, everything that they've done, Amazing. Um, my teammates that I played with, I mean, my favorite, I mean, I talked earlier about Jeff Novak, one of my best friends in the world, like watching him on Twitter, like go after people on my behalf or after I didn't get in, like just, just going after the voters. I'm like, I'm not sure this is helping me, but it's like, it always feels better when some other people are fighting for you or, you know, because I get like, listen, my position's always been. And it was the, hopefully one day it won't be this way because I get in, but the guys who all get in deserve it. They're great players, and so I'll never talk poorly about anyone who gets in when I haven't. But to have other people like beat the drum. I mean, Mike Mazur wrote a letter to Peter King that Peter King published in his his column. I mean, that I mean, come on. I mean, that's when you're. It's like you know that not only are you loved, but they care. People care. Um, I mean, Mark Brunel, who was his, was in the room with me this year uh, with my family and everything else, and him and his wife, Stacy were there, and, and one other couple of close friends, Dan Edwards and Pete Cav, and some of the guys here were filming it. But Mark was in there. And he was more nervous than I was, and he made me more nervous because he kept <laughs> talking and laughing. And I finally just sat off to the side waiting because you sit there and wait. It's like, golly, am I getting in or not? At the very end, it's like, I'm going to know in the next 10 minutes and you just cut the, you know, you can feel the tension. And so I get the phone call and just to give everyone, you know, if you get a knock on the door, you're in, if you get a phone call, you're out. And the phone rings and it's Dave Baker, the president of Hall of Fame, telling me, say, Hey, listen, Tony, you're close. You didn't make it though. Whatever. And, and I look over and, you know, my wife's emotional, you know, everyone's upset. And I look at Mark and he is emotional. He's upset. Like he's like hurt for me in that. And I remember sitting there looking at him and I said, number one, I mean, like, thank you, Jesus, that I have people who care that much about me. And I have friends like that. Because it almost made it easier for me. Because as you look at the big picture of life, yes, I want to be in the Hall of Fame. It would be huge. But the relationships that I've developed in this game and because of, through this organization that are that strong 
trumpet a little bit. They over like it's like it's bigger. It's more impactful. It's more important. And so to see that, it gave you gave me perspective. I was still upset. Trust me. For about two hours, you didn't want to be around me because <laughs> I was going to say something. <laughs> Angie's like, keep your mouth shut for the next two hours. You're not allowed to talk because you're going to say something. And but it helped me because. I saw a friend there and I got phone calls from people and text messages saying, this is, you know, they're being mad. This is ridiculous. You deserve and all the nice things to so the dinner I had with, you know, the team afterwards that they had planned with Sean and Mark and, and all the guys, Paul Harden, all these people that have always supported me from the beginning, some from the beginning, some since over the last number of years being there and, and being supportive. I mean, come on. I mean, that is so good. I mean, that's the true richness of life. I mean, that you can't trade for anything. And for me, and it's one of the things, that, you know, not to get on a soapbox, when I hear people badmouth the game of football, and because of whether it's concussions or this or whatever reason you want to badmouth football, it's like the, it's like the thing that seems popular at times. I get upset because I look at my life and what football has done for me and the ability to play in the NFL, to be a part of this organization, the richness, nothing to do with money. Everyone says, oh, you're, oh yeah, because you get paid a lot. No, no, trust me, that's nice. But that's what I'm talking about. The richness of the relationships, the memories, and the connections that I have because of the game of football in this organization is what true richness and well uh, just wealth of life is all about and it's because in and because in 1995 april of 95 i'm sitting in new york and tom coughlin called the commissioner or however it worked and says we're picking tony baselli the rest has played out and the rest has happened and i thank god all the time i thank god that i didn't leave early because people say all the time, would you rather have played for the Giants? Someone said this the other day. He says, if you had played for the Giants or the Cowboys or the Packers or some of these franchises, even though you had a short career like that, you'd already be in the Hall of Fame. Don't you? Or you'd have, be in a big market. Maybe you'd be, you know, doing national games or doing X, Y, or Z. And I said, yeah, maybe. But I wouldn't trade it for being a part of the Jacksonville Jaguars and living in this community. Tony understands how fortunate he is and how incredible his football story has been. He's clearly happy with how things have turned out and hopeful for where the road before him will lead. He has no regrets. You know, it's it's such a big part of who I am. You know, football's always been a passion of mine. It, it, there was always a huge identity with that, um, whether it was growing up, going to USC, which I'm close to and love as a university and being to, uh, to be a associated with the University of Southern California football program. But then this is, uh, I don't want to say it's, a, I, yeah, it probably does surpasses it for me because of the length of that I've been a part of it. And when I walked in after being drafted, I remember we flew down here and Angie and I walked into the, what the team meeting room is now with the press conference to be introduced. And I was a uh, 23-year-old kid, um, was about uh, two months from being married and had no clue. And all I remember back then is like, I, I want to prove to this organization, to Tom Coughlin, and to all these fans that they made the right choice. Like, that was all I cared about. And not off the field. I, I, as a football player, I wanted to be really good. And 
and I had no illusions or it's not an illusion, but no, no thoughts of what this could become as far as the role I have now. And it's been to become even a bigger part of my um, life. And so to say like now you're an ambassador, I would never have thought of that because that would never cross my mind. But it's something that I loved playing. If there was a pill to take right now that I could go play this game again, I'd do it right now. You know, you hear today all the time, guys like saying, oh, football's too hard. You know, I would want my kids to play or, you know, maybe regretting playing the game because of the impact on the body and everything else. I'm the opposite. I'm like, sign me up because that's how much I loved it in playing for this team. I mean, what a good life. What a, a blessed life.